Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone interested in growing sales. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook, The Ultimate Guide to Setting and Achieving Sales Goals, which provides best practices for setting goals, aligning the right activities, tracking your progress, and avoiding common pitfalls. Make sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod three, four, seven. This is Elizabeth Frederick, as always, and I think you guys are going to really enjoy hearing from today's guest. He's the regional VP of Sales West at a leading data security firm. And before that, he has extensive experience in sales and sales leadership. He actually started his career in entertainment, which is pretty interesting. He recently published his first book, The Tech Sales Warrior, Battle-Tested Strategies to Crush Quota. And he's based in Marina Del Rey, California. Welcome to the show, Chris Prangley. Thank you, Elizabeth. Happy to be here. I am really glad that we could have you on the show, and I'm looking forward to our conversation. But before we get into a lot, I just shared the high-level bullets, but I'd love if you could introduce yourself to our listeners. Yeah, definitely. Hi, everyone. I'm Chris Prangley. Um, I am currently uh, Regional Vice President of Sales on the West at a leading data security firm. I started uh, in the enterprise software business little over a decade ago. And I started as a TDR, an SDR, uh, whatever you want to call it, but cold calling, which uh, eventually led me to be an inside sales rep, followed by an enterprise field rep, and then managing a team of enterprise sellers, which then led to a region and now uh, uh, the Western part of North America. So it's been a heck of a ride and um, so many learning uh, opportunities in each role. Absolutely. Um, that's something that I, I always find is really interesting when you see people who've climbed their way up from the really kind of grungy work at, yes. the, at the lowest level of selling, you know, cold calling and just it, it, it's brutal. And if you can make it through that and be successful and still want to stay in sales, uh, that really shows a lot of resilience and determination to succeed. A hundred percent. And when I first started, you know, actually, when I first started getting into sales, I wasn't in uh, tech sales. I was, I was on the insurance side, and the concept of cold calling to me at that time was um, something I, I really did not enjoy. I was, I was not fond of the concept, and I eventually came to to love it, and I did so through making a bit of a, a game out of it, having fun with it, and in. Introducing this concept of like play to the work, that was a big help for me. The other thing that really changed the course of of my career was aligning to my why. Uh, why am I doing this? Why am I reaching out to these folks? There was a purpose behind it, as opposed to just you know bothering someone or trying to close a sale. Um, there was an important need that I was filling and and going to help folks. So. That really changed things uh, dramatically. I think uh, for everyone that starts in that role, once you realize the value of that role for your firm and how important prospecting is for the entire uh, length of your career, you will stand apart from everyone else because uh, a lot of folks don't want to do it. Like you mentioned, uh, folks could say it's grungy or tough or whatever it may be, um, but it's needed. And whatever career you end up in on the sales side, prospecting is the foundation of all success. Absolutely. 
So you recently published your book. I think it came out in March. And it's called, as I mentioned in the intro, The Tech Sales Warrior, Battle-Tested Strategies to Crush Quota. What inspired you to write a book? That's a pretty big undertaking. Yes, yes. <laughs> it was <laughs> and, and continues to be. And it's also been amazing. Um, so when when I was uh, an enterprise field um, seller, you know, going into that role, the first year I hit about ninety percent of quota, and uh, it sounds, you know, it sounds, uh, oh, that's not too bad, whatever. The reality is, you didn't hit quota, and it really was a tough thing to face when I saw a lot of my peers um, on stage and all the accolades and. Um, it just was tough for me to see like, hey, I didn't hit the mark. And at that point, I really just became obsessed in what does it take to get to quota and what does it take to do it every single year? Mm. So I worked with a lot of leading sales reps. I work with a lot of partners. Um, I sell, you know, I in technology, I sell through resellers a lot. So I'm, I'm very close with a lot of what they call partners or resellers, mm -hmm. um, strategic uh, uh uh, folks that are actually selling the product with me. Um, and I just learned habits, right? And eventually it, it became very clear that you need to have a process every single day, every year. And if you follow that process, you can be extremely successful. And that really led me to always hitting my number many times, uh, multiple times of that number and uh, saw a lot of success. And I would have folks come up to me and say, hey, what's your secret? What's your secret every year? And I was like, hey, there, there is no secret. <laughs> it's actually a process. And so with that, when I eventually started leading teams and coaching other sellers, um, I saw a same frustration with a lot of folks that were not hitting their quota and coaching them and working with them it has been one of the most impactful things in my life in, in my life to actually see uh, other people start crushing it in their careers because they have a process now and not just do it one year, but do it year after year. So it was really that bringing what I learned, um, being thankful for all the opportunities and, and all the folks that helped me giving it back to folks and, and really hoping that everyone can hit their number and do so every single year. I I really love that focus that you have on not just one-time success, but making sure that it becomes repeatable. Because I have seen, um, especially in sales, quite a few people who go through a period of mediocrity or even uh, depending on the scope of what it is that's sold, they might not sell anything. And you can get your first one, right? Or you could have your first quarter or your first year where you hit quota. But if you haven't built the habits and built the processes and the foundation, that could just be a, a you know, a blip on the radar. But it's really only if you've built that foundation that number two comes close after number one. And then you can tell that you're, you're you know, going, you're in progress as opposed to just kind of a lucky shot that you might have achieved at one time. Is that something yeah. that you've kind of noticed as well? Yeah, a hundred percent. And that goes for folks that are new to the game and they're just hitting like their first sale. And also uh, folks that maybe have, have hit quota once and then they struggle or they have a big quarter and then they struggle thereafter. It all comes back to process. And 
And initially that process may be something around your prospecting or how you're running your meetings that's not effective or consistent. Um, For the folks that actually have closed deals, what I often find is if success comes to you easy, and that's a tough thing to, to hear for some folks, success comes easy, right? But greatness is, is typically uh, something that's tough. Greatness meaning consistent success. What I often find with those folks in that, in that second category is that their why is not strong enough. So, so when they get a, a big deal or they close a deal, they're happy, they're content. Um, maybe they were doing sales just for the money of it. And they realize like, Hey, the things that I buy, you know, great after I've bought them, it it's, doesn't really bring me that much happiness. Right. So my passion and my, uh, kind of, uh, fervor to go out and keep selling isn't really there. I achieve what I needed to do and, and I'm good. Um, where I, I find the folks that are consistent and they keep driving is that passion is so strong that it's based on something stronger than just things, a new car, a new house, buying something. It's uh, maybe tied more to something related to their family or their community or the world um, that propels them to continue to reach out. It becomes less about closing the sale and more about the value that you bring to others. And as a result, of course, you close way more, you make more. Um, so yeah, I, I see it in two buckets. I see the newer folks, which highly recommend picking up uh, my book because it, it talks about that process a lot. And that's a struggle for many people, just getting a, a day-to-day process down, uh, a week-to-week process down, so that they have a game plan to attack the week versus reps that have already seen success and maybe not consistent success, maybe need to go back and look at why they're doing this and, and reestablishing a stronger why, which by the way, that it can get weaker over time. You may mean to revisit that journal about that and uh, you'll come stronger out of the gate once you have that. Absolutely. So much there that that I want to come back to. But I I really like that you separated those out. And I want to hone in for a second on the people who are just starting in sales and maybe haven't closed their first deal yet. With the way that so many organizations have moved to remote work, sales has always had quite a lot of remote work, but maybe you would have had a new sales rep shadow an existing team member, or you would have had a manager fly out and be with them for the first X number of weeks. And a lot of organizations have paused those kinds of efforts. And people are really starting out, you know, from their kitchen table or their office or whatever space that they have. And in that case, I think it's even more important to find a structure, find a process that works for you because you're not going to have necessarily the external support that a ride along would give you. Is that something that you're seeing as well? Yeah. I, you know, working in tech sales, it, it's pretty common that you're going to, you're going to work. If you're in the field, you're working remote. So that's always been the case. But for folks that are on like the TDR, SER, BDR side or inside sellers, um, with uh, the way the world has been for the past couple of years, uh, there's definitely folks that have started in their actual, you know, living room or bedroom or kitchen mm-hmm. without that support. So what I'd recommend to you is 
reach out to your sales rep, reach out to the leading BDRs, SDRs on the team, spend mm-hmm. as much time with them. Be curious, soak up what you're hearing and listening to, study what they're, the successful folks are doing so that you can, you know, uh, at the minimum mirror what they're doing and then ultimately add your own sweet sauce to perfect, you know, your pitch that's unique to you. Um, you know, one of the trends with all of this seeing, even in the field, there's quite a bit of time where, you know, we're, we're not engaged with customers face to face just through, you know, some sort of zoom or WebEx for instance. Um, but we're, we're pushing that heavily to get back in person now. Mm-hmm. Just there, there's a magic that happens when you're sitting across a customer, whether it's uh, in the boardroom or over a dinner uh, that I, I don't think can be replaced. Um, so yeah, for, for folks that are new, by the way, another point, if you do get the opportunity to work in the office and, and this is you know okay with you and health and all that stuff, I highly recommend doing it. The, mm-hmm. the value you're going to learn for you know, being an SDR, TDR, not just the outreach you do, but being there with colleagues, the camaraderie, learning in that office, that's irreplaceable. And so I know there's a, a lot of debate going out in the world right now about work remote versus work in the office, but that working in the office, enjoy it, soak it up. You're going to miss it, at least in tech sales, when you go and you actually work out of your house or apartment, whatever, um, and don't have that team anymore. And actually, it's something I see all the time when folks get promoted, they miss being in the office with their colleagues. So if you do have that opportunity, soak it up. It's it's a rich learning experience. Absolutely. Just that kind of cross-pollination that can happen when you have maybe the product team in the same area or, you know, um, tech service or so you know customer experience and you're overhearing things and maybe you can pull somebody in and you're learning not just from your peers but from other teams and departments and it's a lot harder to do that when everything is remote and you're really only interacting with your team so um, I, i definitely heard that a lot from both younger people who are kind of starting in their careers at this time, as well as leaders who have a lot of new people starting at this time, um, that that's been a real challenge. So I want to I wanna go back um, to something else that you've brought up a couple of times, because I think this is, it's a common expression, and yet not everybody probably really thinks about it in the same way that you do, because I've heard the way you're talking about this is a little bit different. Could you get into a little bit more about finding your why and how, let's say, you know, right now um, you're, you're with a, a data security firm. I think you can, you can easily see the, the incredible importance of that work. You know, companies mm-hmm. don't want to be hacked. Um, you see, you see all the terrible things that happen with, um, with data, but then let's say you're selling something that's a little bit less emotionally uh, obvious mm-hmm. what it is. What's your, what's your thought about finding your why and how much of that is in what you're selling and how much of that is in yourself? Does that, does that make sense as a question? Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I, so one of the things I, in the book, we talk a little bit, and this is especially for folks newer to the sales game is first identifying the companies that really inspire you. And you become passionate about. I would first, if you're looking at a market, 
look at a market in general, like IT, for instance, there's so many different segments. And within each of those segments, there's more niches, right? So when you're exploring, lean on what excites you first. And so this will narrow the scope to a, a general niche. And then within that, just read up on the company, see the work they're doing and see if it inspires you. I think being passionate about what you sell is very critical. Um, I've, I've heard folks that are extremely passionate about what they sell and then others where uh, you want to take a nap during the pitch. And that's that's painful, right? They obviously either something's going on with their communication or they're just not into it. And customers smell that. They they understand that, you know, passion sells. So, and it doesn't have to be a fake thing. It can be very real um, about what you do. So I would start there. Um, and with that, you naturally can align with a company's mission. If you start with you're passionate already about what they do, then you can easily align with what that company uh, is, is trying to do in the world. It doesn't always have to be something emotionally uh, charged or something that's very easy. Say, for instance, you're, you know, you're in medical device sales and, and you're selling uh, hip replacements, whatever. This is something very critical and needed, et cetera. You may in the future sell plastics, I, I, you know, whatever it may be, right? But I would, for anyone that's um, in that and they feel like they may be leaning towards that option, I would say find the value add of your product and what it does. Maybe it's efficiencies of time or efficiencies of uh, spend so that, for instance, you may be giving the company that you're working with more time back that they can go be with their family or more time that they can focus on doing whatever their mission is. Um, maybe it's uh, you're providing an efficient way so that they can now hire more people, right? They're, they're being able to in, impact their community more. There's a lot of different ways you can look at this from a company level. Um, I think the easiest way is find what's passionate for you first. Find the industry find the niche. When you align those two things, you're already supercharged. But taking it a step further, this is where you need to match the company mission with your mission. And what I found, you know, when I first started in my career, look, I had a lot of student loans. I had over a hundred grand in student loans. I was very nervous about that. And, you know, that was a top concern, obviously looking ahead at like buying a home, that was a concern. Those things can propel you, but I can tell you from experience and seeing this with dozens of folks, they eventually fade as the importance. You have to go bigger with that. And it generally is something related to how you operate in the world, something related to your family or friends, your global community, your local community. Um, I, I don't want to like choose that for you because it's going to be unique for every individual. I'd highly recommend journaling um, about this. Uh, there's a great book if you want to just tap into the creative side for you called The Artist's Way. Um, just it, it's going to be able to uh, open you up to some ideas and concepts. Uh, there's this concept within that called the morning pages where you journal every single morning and and you'll get to know yourself a lot better if, you, if you're struggling with this concept. But when you marry your internal why with the company why, you're on fire. And the power of that for all sales teams, sales leaders, whatever, imagine if your sellers were not afraid of rejection because they had a personal mission aligned to the company mission 
and nothing was going to stop them. They knew the value that they could bring to the world. And that value was so strong that there's no amount of rejection that will stop them. And when you see that in action, it is powerful. Absolutely. Um, I can't help but think back to a CEO I was talking to in Manifest Point almost 15 years ago. Um, And it was kind of early smartphone era. And he had gone Mm -hmm. to a store to pick his first, you know, smartphone. And when he asked the sales rep for information about the, the different things he was looking at, he said the level of excitement they had about the iPhone, they couldn't explain all the details. They couldn't explain everything that they knew, but just literally the passion and the excitement that they had is what sold him. And I, yeah. I think we can all consider situations that we've had like that, where you see somebody who's just so passionate and so excited, it kind of brings you along with them. And if you don't have it, it's you can't fake it. Um, when I think to probably you know, no judgments. And I, I've had some um, clients who I guess might be a little bit more boring, but one of the more boring industries or, or you know, interesting industries in one way that, um, that we had a client that uh, they mined and sold diatomaceous earth. Okay. And that's a thing. <laughs> and I had never really focused on, you know, the minerals space. And, and it was fascinating to see how they could take something that literally is, is you know, it comes from the ground. It's a rock thing. And it, connect that to what it accomplished, you know, in the filtration space. If you sell wine, if you sell paint, you can use this to filter it to a level that's different than if you didn't have it. If you want to make cat litter you mix it into the cat litter and cat litter is lighter whatever it might be wow the way that they could take such a basic topic and really identify the value that it adds in a way that was immediately compelling and this was years ago for me and i still remember it because it stands out so much it it really made it come to life instead of you know that that picture of just you know a mine everything kind of brown and gray and white um not the most not the most interesting product but <laughs> as you said you know the the company can do its part and there's the mission of the company and then if you as an individual can be really bought in to part of that it, it's amazing the power that can that can really come out and the magic that comes in the way you talk about it yeah. One of the things I work on with um, individual sellers is how they perform in a room. And perform can sound like a, a form of trickery or something like that. I, I mean, really um, in an authentic way, not trying to trick anyone, but more so just in your presentation skills. Mm-hmm. And what I often would do is we'll have roundtables, we'll do case studies uh, where we're doing actual specific sales examples. And we see someone walk in the door and and how they present to their audience. And it becomes very clear. You know, one of the things that we we talk about as a team when we see this is, hey, what how did you what was your impression of this person coming in? What was your impression of uh what they were actually saying and speaking before we even get to the content? And it's very eye-opening for folks. You know, some it may come natural, others they may have to work on this. Um, but yeah, just, just seeing it, uh, (laughs) live in the field, it's wild. You can have the greatest presentation, but if it's boring or you don't feel like you're interested in it, it really takes the life out of it. 
Absolutely. Um, and I know you've spent time in entertainment and that's where you started your career. And I would imagine that's where you, you likely learned a lot of those best practices. And I think a lot of salespeople could really look at um, if you haven't gotten any training on public speaking, if you haven't done any sort of um, if you haven't done any sort of work on your your presence and how you come off to people, that can be a really useful um, thing to look into because it, like you said, it's it's unspoken. It's not there. There's nothing that you can really measure about it, but there's just a big difference in somebody who, who has that, that confidence, that, that ability to engage versus somebody who feels like, you know, they're reading the slides. Definitely. Definitely. It's so important and it's often unspoken. I'm actually working on a a book right now, exactly on this topic. Mm. because I feel like we do all this work to get a meeting, get a meeting, get a meeting. And then what actually happens during the meeting? Mm-hmm. And if the seller doesn't have the right resources during the meeting and they don't feel confident in how they're coming across in the meeting, well, we may have just burned an opportunity, right? It could have been the perfect fit. But if someone's struggling with their messaging or communication, ooh, it's tough. It's tough to see. Absolutely. And it, what you often find, you know, you have organizations spending tons of time and money on the deck. And you end up with a gorgeous deck and maybe you have an amazing video to play at the beginning of your presentation and all of this work on, you know, the bells and whistles, but the actual person, whether it's in person or whether it's on Zoom, you still have to have a presence. You have to do the engaging. That's the whole point of having a salesperson and not having people just buy on the website. And so- 100%, yeah. That, 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 by the way, is that- uh, the hard coaching, right? This is mm-hmm. where there there's no like uh, easy button for this. This mm-hmm. is where you know sales leaders need to come in with their team and work one by one and ensure that someone's getting coached if they're not performing the way they should. Otherwise, yeah, it's exactly to your point. A lot of investments made on the upfront uh, about understanding the product or how you do the initial pitch, but when someone's in the room. How are we coaching them through, you know, whether they're overcoming obstacles or how they're presenting or was this compelling, et cetera? Absolutely. I've known so many people even who knew all of the facts about the product. And so, you know, their organizations were evaluating based on product information and knowledge and could you pass the quiz, but then they weren't performing. And eventually, you know, the manager goes along on the call and realizes you don't ask any questions, you know, or you don't ask good questions. And somebody can be really qualified and very smart and very capable and just not necessarily following the right best practice. And so I think we kind of naturally have have fallen into, um, you know, the elements of the process that you talk about, you know, the strategies that are going to help people crush their quota. A lot of it is just looking at those individual elements and making sure you're doing those with excellence as opposed to just kind of doing whatever comes to mind. Is that a a good summary of kind of the approach? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's exactly right. It's really about creating a process that you can follow every day. For some people, this may be 
really you're just not prospecting and, and we got to put a plan together and, and address that because, hey, no meetings, no deals. Um, <laughs> but then for others, it may be more the finesse. It may be, you know, I once I, I was working with a rep once who had uh, great questions in the beginning. This is, you know, this is one of the hardest things to do. Ask good questions that uncover pain that lead to value. But here was the struggle not aligning the customer's answers and responses mm. to your actual solution. And so, hey, if it's if it's not a fit, you can end the call there. You know, let's not waste anyone's time. Let's be efficient. But if it is a fit, rather than go through a standard pitch, align that that feedback you just got to how you solve it. And when you pair those two together, okay, you're, you're going to be setting yourself apart from, you know, 90% of sellers because you're now listening to the customer's problem. You have a, a solution to fix it um, versus, hey, I heard the problem. Let me just walk you through my standard deck and and we'll go from there. <laughs> yeah, Let me show you a demo that you don't want to see, you know? Um, Absolutely. So, yeah, it's, it's funny because, you know, the expression, there's no such thing as a stupid question. Maybe that's appropriate in a classroom. That is not true when it comes to selling. And so often you see people ask questions and you almost have to be like a like an attorney. And they always say, you know, mm-hmm. a lawyer doesn't ask a question they don't know the answer to. Mm-hmm. And you have to ask a question that, that depending on what somebody says you know you're going to take option A or option B. You know, I ask about this sort of a problem. If they have it, I know they. I should talk about feature one. If they don't have it, I should completely not talk about feature one because that's not relevant. I ask another question and, you know, we've got, again, options A and B feature two. And if you can go through just a few simple questions, you can take, you know, a 50-slide deck and cut it down to the 10 slides that are actually relevant to that prospect as opposed exactly. to marching yeah. through 50. Yeah, that that attorney example is great. I Yeah, I often use that, um, the detective. Uh, another <laughs> one, just to layer it in there, I often uh, tell folks, start as, we're just throwing out all the names, start, start <laughs> as a, a doctor. Try to yep. understand the pain first before before you lead them to anything truly understand it because one challenge i've seen with some folks is they'll take you know they've sold a lot of deals they think they know the exact problem for the customer and it leans towards what may be normal but theirs is unique and maybe mm-hmm. we're listening to respond versus just listening and understanding mm-hmm. then you can get into yeah leading Exactly like you mentioned, if, if you ask those questions and you lead to it, you make it all about the customer actually sharing and, and them actually deciding exactly what you want them to say, but with their words and in their time. So yeah, that's, that's gold. We, we, uh, we press that a lot. Absolutely. It's, it's always funny when you see the light bulb go off over somebody's head where they realize that the prospect can be the one who's actually developing your proposal and your presentation, and they should be. And all you need to do is guide them in that conversation. And that's that's what sales is because people don't know what they need. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole point of, of having any sort of a consultative selling you know, function. If, if you just are selling something and people, you know, if I want to buy 
a product, um, you know, just for my home or something. I go online, I pick the thing that I want and I get it. I don't need a salesperson to get in between me and that and that service. But what what the whole point of sales is and what people need to understand is you want to help people make the best decision for them. And that decision might be that it's not you and you helping somebody come to that realization sooner than later is a value that you're providing. And it's also helpful for you. You're not chasing a bad deal. A hundred percent. And especially, you know, in the field I'm in, um, I just actually was at a a huge uh, conference in our industry called RSA and, uh, you know, there's hundreds, if not thousands of firms there. And mm-hmm. a lot of them use the same buzzwords. And for many customers, if you don't have a, a team of analysts that are really studying up on the market, it can be extremely confusing, especially if you're dealing with um, some sellers out there that may use some some kind of uh, tricks and and uh, baloney marketing out there that mm-hmm. to trick folks. So um, a part, a big part of this too, is just cutting through that noise and getting very specific on what you solve. So you can uncover that for, for your customers and lead with that. And Hey, if they're not the right fit, move on, keep, keep, you know, there's tons of people to work with, um, where I find the amateur seller, you know, they may just try to sell someone and move mm-hmm. on, maybe not, you know, actually hit the project goal or anything like that. So, so yeah, in this in the world and in tech sales in particular, there's so many different companies, but oftentimes there's a marketing of buzzwords that uh, confuse the customer. So I think the elevated seller is really understanding the marketplace and getting very specific on what they saw and what's unique about their platform, uh, so that they can deliver that value. Absolutely. Um- if you look at websites, a lot of times you could read a company's entire website and not be a hundred percent sure what it is that they sell yep. <laughs> because they're using such generic buzzwords and something that um, that companies need to recognize and salespeople need to recognize this as well. Your the example I, I usually give for this is if I have a problem. I'm going to Google, I'm going to search my problem, not the solution, because I don't know what the solution is. That's why I'm searching for it. Mm-hmm. So if, if all of the information that you have out there is about your solution and about you know, your features, people aren't going to stumble on that because they don't even know that they should be going in that direction. And it's, it's so easy to just you know, even even the concept of security, if that was all <laughs> your, your company, your organization talked about, there are a lot of different things that that could mean. And there are a lot of different ways that companies provide services. Some are consulting, some have products and services and platforms. And the more you can actually help people quickly identify kind of what, what major box you're in, that's going to help with that quick qualify disqualify that really saves everybody a lot of time and wasted energy. Definite. Um, something else that that I wanted to discuss with you because I feel like this is this is a your your role as somebody who sold and has also been now in sales leadership. You know, when we talk about crushing quotas, one thing you hear from some people is our quotas are all unrealistic. And sometimes, you know, you might think that there's some validity to that. Sometimes maybe not. Um, but what is, how would you recommend that people think about their quota, whether it's the first time they've gotten it and they just think it doesn't make sense or whether, you know, 
you, you hit a certain number last year and they just add a 50% on top of it. Um, and it feels like it came out of nowhere. How, how should people mm-hmm. respond or how should they think about um, those, those quotas that might seem unattainable? Yeah, I, I've seen it, um, you know, seldom throughout the entire IT industry where certain firms will, will do like a crazy quota increase. And, and that can be very difficult um, where they take their best sellers or seller had a blowout year. And then they're like, oh, we're going to triple the quota. You know, for a firm to do that, I don't believe that's the smartest thing to do, especially when it's, it's your top, uh, you know, uh, seller that you're doing mm-hmm. that. And they may, you know, go to a competitor, which I, I saw often in the storage uh, industry. Um, you know, people selling servers. It, it was a common practice for a couple firms, but um, I think in, in general, we don't always see that. And what I would recommend a seller does is first, yes, understand obviously the firm you want to work for. You can ask around with your colleagues and and other folks that are already selling at that company to see what that company's stance is on quota and and how it works. And you can get a good sense that way. So whether it's through like the partner community or actually knowing sellers there, um, this is the power of network, right? You never know Mm -hmm. when you need to ask these questions. And I think uh, by building a good network of folks, you're, you're put in a position to do that. Um, But when I look at quota and when I was looking at quota as an enterprise seller, I would three exit. And I know it sounds crazy. People are like, Oh, that, you know, that's easy to say hard to do. Of course. But I think a lot of what trips folks up is not setting expectations mm. higher than what the company gives you. And it may be tough. I'm not saying that. It won't be. But when you train yourself to set goals that are bigger than what you're supposed to achieve, you may not achieve the goals that you set out, but they'll be higher than what you were originally asked to do. And I, I would do this every single year. You know, there I, I never hit below 150%, but there's often years I had 300% of my number. Sizable numbers, right? We're talking about multi-million dollar deals too. This isn't, we're not talking like 10 grand, whatnot. So um, I think it's very possible. I One of the books that's greatly impacted me over the past two years is Atomic Habits. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for me, you know, I, I love goal setting. I've always loved positive mindset and all that. But this book really translated goals into habits, which is very similar to what my book's all about process. We all know process, but you have to do it. And part of the three Xing your quota is that means your habits have to change daily. We, Mm -hmm. you have to have ways to track this, to hit that. So the first part of this, yeah, there may be a company or two you run in out there where quota gets to be an insane amount. I think if you work closely with your managers, a lot of times your regional managers have some say and power over control mm-hmm. of your quota. So it's very uh, beneficial if you're a seller listening to this to build a relationship with your sales leaders so that they can help you with that, right? Maybe they can keep the quota increased down. Um but for all the sellers out there too, and I've seen this time and time again, think about at least 2Xing, I would recommend 3Xing your quota and doing the steps necessary to hit. It will change your life. It did for me and it did for many folks I coached and you can do it too. It will be tough when you first look at it, but with proper goal setting and proper habits, you can do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Well, I think that's a perfect note to to maybe start to wind down on. I've really enjoyed um, hearing from you, and I'm sure our listeners have as well. And I'm sure many of you then will want to check out your book. Um, last question I really want to ask you, because you're a senior sales leader. Uh, you've seen what's been happening over the last few years. What are the trends that you're really paying attention to as you're looking at the future of your team and your organization? Yeah, you know, with, with uh, things kind of opening up a bit now we'll see um it's really to get get back in front of people as much as possible getting mm -hmm. person events going um for you know folks that are in tech sales being in the field living in the field is, is a common thing but getting in front of customers has been tough up to you know maybe about a month or two ago so mm -hmm. That's a big push that we're doing. Um, the other thing that continues to rise, what I've seen in just the cybersecurity field is a lot of noise and a lot of startups. So working with my teams to position so they know how mm -hmm. to handle objectives and how to uh, provide very unique feedback for their customers so it becomes clear that the solution's needed versus falling back on marketing buzzwords. And then the final one, you know, as much as we change, evolve all the sales technologies that come out and the sales enablement that comes out, nothing replaces a process. Mm -hmm. so whether you're working at a startup and you have full uh, few tools and you're having to do manual dials versus a mature firm that has, you know, millions and millions of spend on sales enablement, a process will always win. So working with sellers to make sure that there is a day-to-day -day process, a week process, a quarterly, an annual, um, so they can achieve all their, their wildest dreams and, and hit quota again and again and again. Absolutely. I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen in organizations, um, and there's even one that really comes to mind right away, where it was a startup. And so they had their first year of selling. And they had two people who just blew it out of the water. I mean, just absolutely ridiculous, you know, 3X or more of quota. And then what happened the next year? One of them kept on that path, exceeded and doing great. The other one rested on his laurels and he, you know, took a lot of time off and, and really enjoyed his commissions and didn't didn't get anywhere near the results. And at a leadership level, they hadn't ever had a really tight process around management. And they just kind of let people do what they what they wanted because they were hiring very senior, very experienced salespeople. And just that difference between the, the person who went back, she had a process and she never stopped even when she got the results. And then the other person, mm -hmm. you know, felt it was okay to kind of fall away from that process because he'd gotten where he wanted to go. And that, it, that, that idea of a, of the discipline and the daily habits. So, so critically important. Yeah. It reminds me, uh, you know, one of my favorite stories, I was working with a rep. She was, she's so detailed in her process. She's incredible. Um, and she, she went out on maternity, maternity leave for three months. And over that time, she still had hundreds of thousands of dollars coming in mm. and all trials booking with her out. And it was just because every part of her calendar was booked every single day, every single day. Mm -hmm. It was so impressive. And she built a machine. And I always say this to, to the folks I coach, you can do this if you build that machine of automation versus... Mm -hmm. Facing the roller coaster of sales, which I believe many sellers fall into, where it's, hey, I close a deal, I can chill. Oh, I need a prospect really quick. 
Um, oh, I had a big year. Let me take a month or two off. Uh, finding that balance, especially when you're a, a seasoned seller where you have a massive year, obviously you should spend time to recharge, renew, mm-hmm. go back after it because we start at zero next year. Uh, but understand that there there's a limit to the amount of time off. And if you find yourself, you know, where your business starts to get impacted, you realize, hey, you hit the limit. Your, your business is kind of crumbling now. So it's good for sales leaders to see this and try to catch this early. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you know, you could be impacting the next quarter or several quarters. Absolutely. It's funny because I had a client in almost the same situation. He was going on paternity leave and it was around the holidays as well. And so he was going to be off for a solid two and a half, three months. And in the few months before, he continued all his normal activities, but he also scheduled meetings for when he would be back. And so when he came back from paternity leave, not only had stuff been happening while he was gone, but he was just immediately into the swing of things. And he is now running sales in the organization. He was wow. just starting a few years ago when we worked um, with with that client. And you could just see right there that, that he had what it took. And it was really all about thinking ahead and looking ahead and coming up with a process that would work. So That's very cool. Love that story. All right. Something we always like to ask our guests, Chris, is do you have any resources that you would recommend to our listeners? I know you've mentioned a few books already. Um, obviously, you're a reader. But there is there anything that you would recommend specifically that they check out? Uh, you know, no, nothing surprising. I love catching up on all the latest business news in Wall Street Journal. Uh, a, a podcast that I, I particularly enjoy is How I Built This by Guy mm. on NPR. I just I love the uh the concept of taking an idea and turning it into a business. Um, and then for me, look, motivation's big, but I've, I've noticed over my career, uh, obviously motivation is, is temporary. Mm-hmm. So I often, whether it's with workouts or with a daily uh, approach, I'm usually checking out some motivational videos on YouTube or reading some philosophy to, uh, to inspire me for the day. And it is, mm-hmm. it is a kind of a fuel that runs out which is why we need our habits, why we need our goals. But I find those things help reframe me into like a a positive mindset and uh, just get me fired up for the day. Um, Outside of that, oh, there's so many great podcasts, including this one uh, (laughs) that I'd recommend. Um, But uh, in general, you know, I'm, I'm usually reading stuff that's even outside of sales and outside of industry just to kind of Mm-hmm. Broaden, broaden what I'm uh, ingesting. Absolutely. And that can also really help with that motivation. I think it's easy to feel like you have to read every book specifically in your industry, listen to every podcast in your industry. And eventually that gets very stale. So I love that <laughs> reminder that, you know, ideas will come if you're looking outside and it's also going to keep your brain from, you know, drying out. So exactly. <laughs> very important. Yes. All right. If listeners want to learn more about you and your work, where can they find you? Yeah, you you know the book's live. It's on Amazon, the Tech Sales Warrior. Uh, also, you can uh, look for the Tech Sales Warrior on uh, online techsaleswarrior.com. Uh, and then I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, but you know, for LinkedIn, I always say, hey, I'm uh, I'm out there selling too. So I, I'm usually not uh, supplying sales tips. But if you want to connect, would love to connect. Um, just know that you can crush quota. You can do it. Get a process. Let's rock and roll. Absolutely. Thank you so, so much for speaking with me today, Chris. I've really enjoyed our conversation and I know our listeners will as well. Thanks, Elizabeth. 
And thank you to all of those listeners for tuning into today's show. You can find the notes and resources for everything we've been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod three, four, seven. If you enjoyed the show, please recommend this to a friend. That's the best way to help more people discover it. And if you haven't subscribed, make sure to do that wherever you're listening right now. That's the best way to make sure that you get every new episode as soon as it goes up. We love your feedback. You can leave us ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts or email us if you've got direct feedback, questions, or guest suggestions. Podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at CFS Playbook and the blog at criteriaforsuccess.com slash insights. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Ryland Sylvester. Happy selling!